0: This is Face the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra Song-by-Song Podcast. Electric Light Orchestra Part 2. Okay, so we finished Afterglow, and that brings us to June 1990. So up next in the Electric Light Orchestra history, we kind of come into... The road kind of forks off in a different direction, and the next thing that comes out that's ELO-related is Electric Light Orchestra Part 2. Ah, oh, crap! Up until we started doing this podcast, I don't know, maybe a, a little while into it, I was just feet cemented in place that if it doesn't have Jefflin, it is not the Electric Light Orchestra. As we've gone through each song, actually looked into it, not just, you know, listen to it and let the music blow by my head and fill my ears. Just dismissing the rest of the band as session musicians that had a regular gig, it's demeaning to them. They contributed to ELO, everybody brings their own sound, and when they're all together, that makes a specific sound for the band. So even though it didn't have Jeff Lynne, I was solidly against Electric Light Orchestra Part 2. And there was no way that the podcast was going to veer off into that. But I got into a Facebook message conversation with somebody. I don't remember who. I tried looking it up. I couldn't find the message anymore. It was uh, sometime last year who kind of made me rethink my position on ELO Part 2. The ELO Part 2 was pretty much Electric Light Orchestra without Jeff Flynn and Richard Tandy. And there have been other bands that have gone on when the big name from the band has left. But they're still the band. Chicago is still Chicago without Peter Cetera, Journey went on as Journey without Steve Perry. And Styx went on as Styx without Dennis DeYoung. So it was kind of like Is Electric Light Orchestra Part Two a completely different band? And should we cover the ELO Part Two songs?
1: Not song by song. Okay, good. I, I I mean, if they called themselves, not part two, but if they call themselves Electric Light Orchestra, and it's still the same set of songs, still Electric Light Orchestra without Jeff, I would say yes. But because they put in the part two, we do have to look at them as a separate band. Just like Creedence Clearwater Revisited that goes around touring mm. uh, without John Fogarty <laughs> yeah. it's not Creedence Clearwater Revival. No, it sure isn't. In any way, shape, or form. Yeah. Especially if you've ever listened to the Mardi Gras album.
0: I think I have.
1: Yeah. And um, yeah, his brother Tom had already run off for a solo career. And by then we were left with him, the bass player and the drummer. And John Foger said, Hey, you think you can do better than I can? Write your own songs then. You're complaining that you don't have enough input in the band? Well, now you do.
0: Do it. Go on. Dare you. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And that basically. <laughs> Put a nice little exclamation point at the end (laughs) saying, see? I
0: told you. Yeah, I think that part two is the thing that... It's a tiny nitpicky thing, but it's the thing that matters. That part two makes it a different band.
1: Right. Heaven and Hell may have been the Black Sabbath lineup from Heaven and Hell and Mob Rules. But at the time that they recorded the one album right before Dio died... It was a separate band from the actual touring and recording Black Sabbath, which was with Ozzy back on there working on a new actual Sabbath album. So even then, that's very, very close comparison, but still really different bands.
0: Okay, well, no, then that's good that we're not going to cover them because we already have like eight episodes done for Flashback and we're about to start covering Zoom next week. So (laughs) at least when we're recording this on January 19th. I had no idea that this was coming. I don't know, March, April, 1991, I went to Zia, used record store, new and used record store, and did what I always do, flip through the ELO albums, seeing if there was anything I hadn't, didn't have, although at that point I had it all. Maybe there was something new, flip through the CDs, then I go over to the cassettes, and I look through the cassettes, and I see Electric Light Orchestra Part 2. What is this? I had no idea what
1: it was. It was already returned, and it was only three bucks.
0: That's well, you know, it was it was still it was still brand new, so it was eight bucks. Okay. And um, the only income I had was being drafted into grand jury duty for two or three days a week for five months. So it's not like I was pulling in lots of money, but I took a gamble on it because I figured if this isn't somehow ELO related, because this could have been some thrash punk band who thought it'd be funny to call themselves Electric Light Orchestra Part Two, and just do music that is so not. Out of the Blue, Discovery, A New World Record, and there's, you know, The Joke, or Rap, or anything. Just, okay, I have something in my ELO collection that is an oddity of some other band using the name, but sticking the part two to avoid a lawsuit, which, you know, didn't stop (laughs) They would not have avoided a lawsuit. Yeah, did not avoid a lawsuit, (laughs) even though it was all the original members except for Lynn and Tandy. (laughs) So I took it in, did, you know, as soon as I got in my car, I rip open the shrink wrap and put it in the tape deck, and I, I read the liner notes, and I see, oh, Bev, Bev, oh, uh, oh, well, this is a lot of people from ELO, so they should be good. And Hello was the first song on the album. and it's like, I like that. That's kind of cute. It's actually starting an album like what ELO used to do with like Tightrope and Fire on High and Prologue and, and even this weird intro for Secret Messages. I hated, and still hate, that balance of power just, boop, here we go. We're starting with the songs. You get no weird intro like we used to do. So I liked that. That was nice. And then Honest Men kicked in. It's like, you know, I like that. It's ELOE, but I think a little too heavy on the orchestra part of their name on that one. I think one of the, the genius things about Jeff Lynn is that I mean other than El Dorado, the orchestra part wasn't orchestra. orchestra It was well mixed in with the music that it didn't seem like it was overtaking it. And I felt like with this it was like, okay, here's the rock song, and here's the orchestra part of our name. But I liked it, and I still like Honest Men. And then it went into the song after that. crazy about that. And then it went into Once Upon a Time. And I loved that. I still adore that. It makes me swoon when it starts to turn into that part
2: where... Memory
0: Just turns my spine into warm pudding and it's just ah oh, that's wonderful and then the rest of the album went on and I was just eh, 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 last week was the first time I've actually listened to the album all the way through since 1991 I remember in a review that I wrote for the album in my underground newspaper the loo news that I said it sounded foreigner like And when I heard the song that comes on after Once Upon a Time, I was like, wow, I was right. That really does sound like Foreigner.
2: A Thousand Eyes
0: is okay. The rest of it, I was reminded of why there's a reason why I haven't listened to it in its entirety for 30 years.
1: Yeah, I gave it a listen, and in this case, Bev Bevan is the only member of Electric Light Orchestra in the band.
0: I thought Kelly and some of the other... I think Kelly went
1: on tour with them after this. Mm -hmm. Looking at the credits here, Kelly is not listed on the album. Hmm. Oh, Mick Kaminsky is listed on on violin.
0: And Lewis Clark does the uh, orchestra
1: stuff. Right, he does the orchestra stuff. But really, other than that, it's completely new people neil lockwood is the person doing the vocals pete haycock is also doing vocals on there and then eric Troyer. that's the other thing the vocals change yeah they did you got three different lead vocalists on there doing the different songs now when i started off i was like you i was like why does he hate this this actually isn't too bad even though it's (laughs) trying too hard to copy the sound from the mid-70s yeah and hello plus honest men is good but then all of a sudden every night kicks in
0: Yee, yeah
1: and oh god the lyrics on that piece of garbage <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah yeah
1: you're talking foreigner no a foreigner could write some good i'm going to go out and get me some songs
0: Ah, uh, that's that's true i was saying more the the sound at least that song after once upon a time that sounds right. like a bad I was say
1: if you want a song about i'm gonna go out and get me a little tonight uh, you got Hot-Blooded. That's and... an awesome
0: song, yes.
1: That's an awesome song. This song? No. Mm. And it doesn't belong with anything with the name Electric Light Orchestra attached to it. Uh, no. I'm... <laughs> and then, yeah, Kiss Me Red has about some of the same problems lyrically, even though it's not, because of any um, anything that doesn't fit. It's just a very maudlin, middle-of-the-road love song. hmm but thousand eyes I really liked heartbreaker eh, it's okay Eesh, um, yeah. and for the love of a woman eh, it's a it's an okay song yeah. but. The rest of the album, not at all. I think one of the biggest problems is they try too hard to sound like ELO with the multi-tracked vocals and the orchestra and everything. They're trying way too hard to really push the ELO sound. Absolutely. But without any ELO charm. <laughs> yeah. There was a certain charm to Jeff Lynn's lyrics and everything, a certain way that Jeff Lynn wrote that went along with the sound. Here, it's kind of like playing pretend. Yeah. So that's my main problem with it. The other problem is lyrically. When I started hearing it as well, the vocalists are very nondescript. They could have been with any band. In fact, it reminds me of 90s Asia with John Payne on vocals, which at least that had some good songwriting behind it, even though nobody bought the albums back then. But they were actually halfway decent. They sound like 90s AOR music, but not so much foreigner-like. I do agree with that comparison a little bit. Later, Agent Provocateur and onwards, Foreigner. Yes,
0: not the good early Um, Foreigner.
1: They also sound like a lot of supergroups or replacement groups, like Three. Three was Emerson Lake and Palmer without Lake.
0: Oh, I see.
1: Instead of Emerson Lake and Powell, which was Emerson Lake and Palmer without Palmer, and with Powell instead, Three was with a different vocalist and with this same sound as you hear on some of the stuff here on this album. It's like somebody went, huh, the Asia formula worked, let's try to be Asia. (laughs) However, this is 10 years after that Asia album came out where it worked.
0: Yeah, I've got some stuff to say about the second album where I kind of bring that up.
1: And Yes had started to realize the same thing, that, yeah, maybe trying to still go for that hit after Own Over Lonely Heart, still try to get that hit over and over again until the mid-90s was... uh, not gonna work out yeah and this sounds like they tried to do a little bit of creative stuff but then listen to somebody who said well this is what you need to do to get a hit these days and uh um, alternative music was all the rage at the time
0: uh, yes it was
1: this came out at a time when hair metal and alternative were the two things most people listened to not this
3: yeah yeah <laughs> the classic sound of ELO part two Unforgettable rock masterpieces, including the hit single Honest Man. ELO Part 2, the album out now on Telstar. It's good to be back.
0: Obviously, I haven't listened to the album in 30 years, so I was so, eh, I don't want anything to do with ELO Part 2. Now, when the next album came out, I think it was about two years later, I didn't even buy it. Skip right over it. It's... it's, There's no... I, I can't. I just... No. This is not ELO. So, last week was the first time I had listened to the second album. It starts with a long classical thing that was kind of ominous and overwhelming. Breaking down the walls made me think of White Snake. Although I like the chorus in that one. One more tomorrow sounds like lame late '80s foreigner mixed with lead vocals from a beer commercial. I thought the Fox was an interesting song. I kind of liked
2: it. Unearthly fear, it grips my skin.
0: Kelly sings that one, and it was really nice to hear Kelly's voice. You kind of forget what a nice voice Kelly has, and I wish we could hear more of it. Mick Kaminsky gets a song written about him. Kelly sings that one. It's called Blue Violin. It's short, which was good since it was... eh. (laughs) Whiskey Girls is just awful. It is terrible. It sounds like a lame Sammy Hagar song, and I know that can cover a lot of Sammy Hagar ground. Glad you said goodbye. Oh, that—that's the one that reminds me of Asia, from the early '80s, because I've only heard the first two Asia albums. I didn't hear after that. Yeah, that second album, it's uh, yeah, a good reason why I didn't listen to it for th- what is almost 30 years.
1: Well, I actually liked Moment of Truth quite a bit better than the first one. Oh, really? Yeah, I think it was because they stopped trying to sound like it was 1976.
0: <laughs> there is that.
1: And Lewis Clark is still doing orchestral arrangements on here, but they're not trying to do that overlaid vocal thing. They're not trying to imitate Jeff Lynne. That's true. At this point, they've decided we're going to be our own band, and they've added Kelly, which makes things a little bit better. Yeah. So we've got Kelly and we've got Eric Troyer on vocals. Only two vocalists, and both playing their instruments in their own spot. You look at the credits for this, it's bass, keyboards, guitar, drums, violin, and the orchestral arrangements. It's not all the other crap that was on the other album. (laughs) Yeah. Now, this still sounds like nothing that would sell in 1994.
0: Nope. And it didn't. Uh,
1: <laughs> Nobody bought- 1994 was post-Nirvana. Uh-huh. Uh <laughs> So uh, we're talking grunge and poor corporate excuse for punk in a lot of cases because by this time, Green Day and Offspring had already made their albums and then everybody else was just trying to imitate them to get a hit. I give them some credit for putting this out at the time because Asia was still making albums at the time. And like I said, it sounded quite a bit like this, except better. But I do give them some credit for putting this out. Because they knew that hardly anyone was going to buy this. And after the first one, I like what somebody called it, Electric Shite Orchestra Part (laughs) 2. But after that first one, I think they knew that most likely ELO fans were not going to buy it either.
0: Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah, because I think they kind of lost some of the support. I mean, touring, from what I've heard, ELO Part Two touring was a completely different thing because Kelly joined in and they did the old songs and they did a whole bunch of other stuff in that I guess when it came to being a live band and keeping the spirit of the old sound alive and the songs alive, I guess it worked because I've never heard anybody talk bad about when they went to go see an ELO Two or later on when they called themselves the orchestra people were actually pretty darn happy with seeing the performances. So maybe this was kind of like a gift for Here's to all you guys who stuck around. But it is better than the first one. I mean, it could be a lot shorter. There's so much on here that could have been cut off. Yeah. And it would have been a nice little tight album. Yeah. I love the overture and the underture parts here because that still gives you, like you were saying, that whole intro and outro parts that you like from the classic albums. Breaking Down the Walls for me was actually a perfectly good song. Power of a Million Lights, I really liked. I can feel the
2: power of a million lights I see your eyes burn I can feel the sparks of a million When you touch me through the night
1: That was actually a song that I really liked on there. I mean, if it didn't have the whole Elo thing attached to it. I mean, I think probably people wouldn't hate it as much. Right. Vixen combined with the Fox, it's it's silly. Yeah. In some ways. Yeah. It's overly done, but I like it. Yeah. I mean, I really, he's, Kelly's really going melodramatic with those vocals there, but I don't know. It's it, it's just I don't know, the music and everything, it works. It really does it really does especially at the end i'm free i won
2: i won i won i won i won, I've won. <laughs>
0: see that's such a dangerous song cuz it could be so easy to go over the line where it's just that close to that line where it's just Oh, this thing is just ridiculous in music and words and everything. But I don't know. They don't hit that line where it makes me roll my eyes. Like I said, it's an interesting song, and I did like it. But it's, it's something that could go wrong so easily. But they managed to avoid that wrong.
1: I think it does go over the line a few times. Yeah. But I think that makes me like it more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because at that point, I'm just going, well, I guess if you're going to go for it. Yeah. You might as well just do this. Um, Whiskey Girls, I don't mind. (laughs) I kind of actually like it. It's a nice change of sound on there. It is that. But I can see how you would not want anything that says Electric Light Orchestra even attached to a song like that. No. To me, it sounds like older Kansas when they were still trying to find their sound. Mm, I can see that. It sounds a bit like some of the more boogie stuff on their first few albums. Yes. Which means it sounds about 20 years out of date. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For the album, but other than that, Twist of the Knife is okay. It's, the lyrics are very cliched on that. She found- so glad you said goodbye a nice double middle finger song there <laughs> yeah <laughs> don't wanna is horrible one more tomorrow i don't even remember yeah it's got a whole bunch of other little things here uh Love or money i remember but it wasn't that good there's a few full songs that could be left off of here probably some of the interludes and stuff can be little side things can be left off if it was a nice 40 minute album instead of a 50 minute album i think it would probably be a lot better The first album, I would probably give maybe two and a half stars. Mm -hmm. I'm being a bit generous. Yeah. But second one, I would give maybe about three to three and a half, depending Mm -hmm. on the mood I was in listening to it. Right. I think if they would have changed the name after this, or changed the name when they did this, then it would have been so much better and I think a lot of fans would have been hey look Kelly and Bev are together doing this and it's a completely new band with Kelly and Bev and man I gotta get this and I think that would have actually excited the fan base more than calling it another Electric Light Orchestra 2 album with yeah. oh god we're gonna have to sit through that garbage again yeah
0: yeah no that's I, I got a list here of things to, to talk about about this band and that's kind of one of them I just think this whole thing was a really bad idea all the way around I understand that the band's broken up and the band members still have to eat and have rent to pay and stuff like that. So I get that. By the mid-80s and throughout the 90s, the ELO catalog was not bringing in enough money I don't think that you could live off of. And I don't even know what their payment setup was like for that anyway. So I understand we gotta do something because I got bills to pay. And ELO is big, let's use that name to bring people in and sell some albums. But the name, Electric Light Orchestra Part 2, that sets up a whole mess of things that can go wrong. But I really don't know what else you could do. If you're bringing in people from the old band, it doesn't matter what you call yourself. If you call yourself Dirty Hamper or Tape Deck or Grandma's Ashes or podcaster looking around the room naming things to give off fake band names, it doesn't matter. Because people are still going to say, oh yeah, Grandma's Ashes, or... Electric Light Orchestra Part 2. So that's going to come up anyway. So I think it's, it's at least smart to call yourself Electric Light Orchestra Part 2 because you take away that snide remark people are going to make even if you call yourself Christmas wrapping paper or something. You're attaching yourself to ELO, which even when they weren't super popular in the late 80s and 90s, that has a lot attached to it. It just seems like a huge anchor to stick on yourself that we're Electric Light Orchestra Part 2. We don't have Jeff or Richard with us, but we're going to do our own thing, yet we also have these 13 albums that humanity loves and has heard a lot. And I think if you try and stray from that, then people are just going to, ah, Jesus, this is not ELO. And when you try and sound like ELO, then people are going to say, ah, oh, jeez, these guys trying to recapture the magic of Jeff Lynne without Jeff Lynne. Ugh. What you said, I think, would have been the smart thing of Bev and Kelly, Bev and Grocut, or whatever they want to call themselves. If you're going to do your own thing, don't attach your previous band name to it, because it's just going to feel like you're trying to escape from a black hole in a Model T. You're going to need a lot, step on that gas a lot, to get away from that gravity well. I think causes the fan base to split. Because there are people who do like ELO Part 2, and then there are people like me, who are like, don't, don't, don't even, don't, don't put out an ELO without Jeff Lynn. Just don't.
1: The Bevan had sound explosion. Perfect. Right there. There you go.
0: <laughs> now go back to 1988 after Bevan talked to Jeff. Hey, I'd like to do a new ELO. You want to be part of that? Nah, I'm going to go produce the Beatles in a couple years. You have fun with that, Bev. So there you go. That would have solved lawsuits. That would have taken that weight off of the band that everybody's going to be like, well, you have to sound like ELO, since you're calling yourself ELO. And they did not. They sounded like generic late 80s, early 90s hard rock. And I'm not really a big fan of hard rock, especially the stuff from the late 80s and 90s. And when you sound like you're trying to copy what's people are buying, Nelson, hey, let's sound like them. It just, it doesn't. I I, I don't like it. And the sad thing is, listening to these albums, I even listened to the live album. They are a fantastic band their musical skills are amazeballs i just wish they hadn't used them to make such generic lame disposable late 80s early 90s hard rock
1: well that's my complaint about a lot of bands is lots and lots of talent can sit there and shred forever and all this technical skill and well they bore the heck out of me <laughs>
0: yeah
1: which is why I'm doing an Electric Light Orchestra podcast rather than a Dream Theater podcast, because the <laughs> Dream Theater community would have had me dragged out on a cart by now in stocks. <laughs> so,
0: And it must have been weird to perform live, because you're playing all the songs by that other guy, the one that's kind of unhappy about what you're doing, and you're singing his songs, and the people going to these concerts are there to see you play his songs, they're not there to hear One More Tomorrow or A Thousand Eyes. They want to hear Telephone Line and, and Rock and Roll is King and all that. So that's going to be kind of weird, especially for Kelly Grocut, who sued Jeff and didn't do too well and regretted that lawsuit until his dying day. So they're going to concerts to hear him sing Turn to Stone and not Am I a Dreamer or, or Honest Men. So that's got to be... Kind of weird that you're there performing other people's songs and not the ones that you put out.
1: Which basically makes you, unfortunately...
0: A cover band.
1: A tribute band. Yes. Oh, believe me, I had I'm a fan of Iron Maidens yell at me about that when I said, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, it sounds like a good cover band. No, they're a tribute band.
0: <laughs> Whatever. it going? It's like Trekkie and Trekker. But
1: you're still performing somebody else's music. <laughs> yes, yeah. Yeah, just one band, you're performing their music, but I understand. <laughs>
0: okay, I think I got Electric Light Orchestra Part 2 out of my system.
1: Yep, and so did we, so we've flushed that out, gotten rid of it, we did a cleanse.
0: We gotten that out of the way, and now we'll move on to Flashback! <laughs> Throw some cash our way at patreon.com slash Pod. For $1 an episode, you can hear episodes a week before they post to the world. At the $2 per episode level, you get expanded episodes heard only on Patreon. Reviews from Don Fields, the Eric's Cover ELO cover songs, or skip all that and just hand it over directly through PayPal using the email address ELOFTMPodcasts at gmail.com. <laughs> Electric Light Orchestra Part Two released their first self-titled album in late 1990 in the U.S. and on May 20, 1991 in the U.K. The album reached number 39 on the Dutch Albums Chart, 22 in Switzerland, and number 34 in the U.K. Singles from the album were "Honest Men," released on April 15, 1991. Well, The Love of a Woman and A Thousand Eyes were released throughout the year. Honest Men was the only one that made the charts. In the Netherlands, it got to number 36 and number 60 in the United Kingdom. The non-album B-side was Love for Sale. Their second U.S. album, released in 1992, was Performing ELO's Greatest Hits Live. It didn't chart. Moment of Truth was their second studio album, third in the discography. It was released in the UK on October 1st, 1994, and on July 18, 1995 in America. The singles, Power of a Million Lights, released on June 15, 1994, and Breaking Down the Walls, also released in 1994. The third single, One More Tomorrow, came out in 1996. The album and none of the singles made the charts. They followed that with another live album. One Night, Live in Australia, was released in 1996 in the UK, february 97 in the u.s it was a mix of elo and elo part two songs the album also failed to make the charts there are videos for honest men power of a million lights and breaking down the walls if you want to look for those on youtube my name's alan stare who
1: cares and i'm his wife donna stare you're not a cop are you join us for the wkrp cast It's a week-by-week, episode-by-episode podcast, giving you a chance to re-watch, review, and re-love WKRP.
3: Tons of trivia, stories, background information, and when possible, interview.
1: Don't miss the WKRP cast.
3: Subscribe now, available every Tuesday.
1: I'm at
3: WKRP in Cincinnati.
4: Hello, everybody. It's me, Dono, from the Preservation Society Jazz. And here's my take or and or read and or my rant on ELO Part 2. ELO Part 2. Hmm. First thing that comes to my mind when I was asked to review them for this podcast was a one-line description in the old alley Reader magazine about Part 2's upcoming West L.A. gig. Jeff Lynn, all your lawyer. Little did that reporter know. I also remember that night when I asked a friend to record a live radio broadcast part two was doing, and I wasn't the only friend to make this request as I was third in line. And when I got back from work later that night to listen to the last ten minutes, I flipped out and eagerly awaited for my full copy of the show. Little did I know. I also was a subscriber to ye olde Face the Music fan magazine paper no. So I was well aware of what Yellow Part 2 were up to. And thanks to the coverage of other publications like Entertainment Weekly, I had also known of the lawsuits underneath this lofty project. Much later in the fan magazine, friends ripping themselves apart on how much Part 2 would destroy Yellow's legacy. For my fanboy side, all of this bickering and lawsuiting made things interesting like watching sudden explosions and car chases in an action movie. I now know how Beatles and Pink Floyd fans react to the drama going on behind the records, in the studios, and at each other, keeping you on the edge while you eat your park with the headphones on. And then came that first ELO Part 2 album. As much as it pains me to admit this now, but I suspect my early excitement over Part 2 was due to this blind, naive curiosity of what would come out of this latest stage of my favorite band, you know, one member takes off. Then there are subtle changes to the band's sound and dynamic following right behind, carrying on the evolution timeline even further. Only a piece missing in this evolution was the engine, Jeff Lynn, and that's one hell of a Grand Canyon sized pothole to try to drive around. I should have smelt something was up, and even worse, I went through this painful process of discovery when I saw the Howard the Duck movie a few years earlier. As I was a fan of the original comic, I had the same level of curiosity going into that theater. However, coming out of it, I felt like burnt toast. I managed to pinpoint the problem with this version of Howard. It was way too mainstream for such an offbeat character because its engine was missing. And that engine was Steve Gerber, the creator, writer, and editor of the Duck Comics. And now that smell was about to mug me. How can you address this album of new material without screaming, The Emperor Has No Clothes? So blindly obvious, it burns. I'm sure to people who are not that familiar with ELO, much less totally in the dark in this corner, this tale may not be such a bother and are probably in a better position to evenly evaluate part two. But to my old fanboy self, It's a loaded level of hell that rivals the Harry Carey that was spelt over when George Lucas was digitally dicking his films up. There was only one professional review of Part 2's first album I ever bumped into at the time, and he quickly boiled the whole package down to later-day foreigner. And that small phrase has seemed to have stuck into my head ever since. The only real artistic carryover from the old ELO is Lewis Clark, who did a fine job with the strings, to the point that they elevated some of the new material. In the new leak, Eric Troyer was no slouch as his material was similar to ELO tradition, but not a slave to it. He mixed in his own sound and personality making him a standout. Beyond that well <clears throat> to my ears, all the other trademarks of ELO didn't change to fit this version they were discarded, forcing a more normal, smaller framework on the band's old legacy Then ended up sounding like a later-day 80s band barely adapting to be hip for the new crowd. The more ELO tried to prove themselves through their new material, the more they sounded like Creedence Clearwater Revisited, you know, CCR without John Fogerty. No artistic ambitions, just rolling out the hits and nothing else. At this point, the second record was moot. to One listen later, and it was back to the used record store. In the middle of the push and pull of Jeff sacrificing ELO to follow his own musical identity and Bevan's eagerness to bring the band back together, there lies the sequel of a band that in the long run made part two an amoeba in the band's history. Even if Jeff did answer Bevan's call and came back into the fold, would it be any successful as the old days, much less balance of power with an actual supporting tour? During the Pop Rock Grunge Age of Nirvana? I seriously doubt it, as ELO was very much the product of the first 10 years of his existence. And even though that formal time in the band emerged will never happen again, it makes you deeply appreciate the magic of ELO and what it left behind, and at this point in the game, both old and new fans know this pretty well, leaving the drama and the original sound of Part 2 behind and forgotten. Finally, did Bevan's band really hurt ELO? Very little, I suspect. He did carry on the old band sound worldwide, but on much smaller stages than originally planned, while Jeff was fulfilling his artistic and personal goals. And when he achieved them, it was time for Bev to let it go and give the boss the reins. Still, when people in France ask me why it's Jeff Lynne's ELO instead of the full title of Electrolike Orchestra, I tell them, blame Bev Bevan's ELO part two. And their reply would always be, who? Yeah,
0: exactly. Join the Facebook group Jeff Lynn's Blue World. Not only can you post anything even slightly tangentially related to ELO without some tin-plated nerd with delusions of godhood deleting or blocking you, not only can you debate ELO without someone questioning your authenticity as an ELO fan if you dare not like a song by Jeff Lynne, but best of all, you can win sh- ELO calendars, ties, tumblers, pens, and many other quality, unauthorized, unlicensed ELO merchandise.
4: Is this a great country or what? But
0: you can only win that stuff at Jeff Lynne's Blue World on Facebook.
3: Well, hey, this is Dr. Troy with my thoughts on Electric Light Orchestra Part 2. Well, being honest at the start of this, this is one of those things that probably looked better on paper than it did in its actual execution, but having said that, I have to admit, I liked their first album, I didn't love it, I liked it. I bought it on cassette because I didn't have a CD player at the time. And I still have the cassette. I haven't played it to death, but I certainly didn't hate it. And I also have their first live album. I think it was 1993, and I liked it. Let's see, what did I like about it? Well, um, it was good to hear Kelly singing again. And Bev Bevan on drums. I will always root for Bev. I even thought he did a good job playing drums on that Black Sabbath album. And I'm not really a huge Sabbath fan, but I thought he did a decent job on that. And it was good to hear some strings again on something which at least tried to be, say, a facsimile of ELO, if not actual ELO. The album, too, to me sounds like more of a moody blues album from the late 70s to early 80s you know octave long distance voyager the present it's not as good as any of those but i will say this it's better than anything the moody blues did from 1986 on when they became more or less a sense pop band and as to the live album i've only listened to it once It actually sounds more like an Electric Light Orchestra tribute concert than it does an ELO live album, but again, it's good. Some of the guest vocalists they had did a good job. But again, without Jeff Lynne, can you really say it's the Electric Light Orchestra? I don't think so, but I suppose there are bigger fans of ELO Part Two than I am. But for the record, again, I liked it. I didn't love it. But it's probably best if it stays back in the early 90s. This has been a thought from Troy.
0: Taste the Music, an Electric Light Orchestra's song-by-song podcast, is a production of Radio Trolla Entertainment, Assorted Deli Meets Amalgamated. You can contact us by voicemail at 623-850-3375 or email us at eloftmpodcast at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group and spread the word by sharing the link or giving us a quick rating on iTunes. You can financially support the podcast at patreon.com slash ELOPod.